These words, Isaiah, have thrilled the hearts of countless millions over the centuries. Karen and I were uh, privileged to go downtown to listen to Handel's Messiah, uh, performed by the Jacksonville Symphony and Orchestra last night, and um, quite thrilling. If you've never, I turned to Karen at the beginning, um, not knowing what to expect, never been to a performance like that, and she said, you're in for quite a thrill. And really, when George Handel wrote his Messiah, his composition, he took the words of Scripture, and although there were parts of the performance throughout the night that, you know, I mean, they'll take a verse out of Isaiah and a verse out of Revelation and sing it 20 different ways and 20 different movements of the music. And to me, to see the Scripture up there and to hear the music and hear them sing, it feeds the soul. These are words from God Almighty to us. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. The prophet says, For unto us, not unto them, unto us. When God sends his Messiah, he is for us, all of us. Not a human being on the face of the globe who's ever lived that the Messiah wasn't sent for in fullness. And notice it wasn't for me that he sent. It wasn't for them that he sent. It was for us. It's a new show on uh, the TV this fall entitled This Is Us. And Karen and I are enjoying the episodes as we go through. About episode four or five, you get the thesis of the entire show. And basically the idea of the show is this. We're a community. We're a people that are interconnected with one another. This is the portrait of our lives, not in isolation, but in usness. It's the, it's the portrait of our lives of people that affected us hundreds of years ago in our family that we never met and how our lives are going to work into the lives of those after we're gone. This is us. And us is who God sent his Messiah for. Notice unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And in that dual statement, contrast, you have the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. A child was born, Christ being fully human, and yet in that humanity there was a son who was given, given by a heavenly father. Jesus was born of a virgin. He had no earthly father. He was given by the heavenly father. Notice how carefully Scripture protects and declares the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now the King James reads, and his government. 
But if you'll notice in the King James, it's in italics, his, meaning it wasn't there in the original. Literally, a better translation is what we see here in the ESV, rendered and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, now, notice it says the government. Well, which government is that? Because we've got them all over the world, and we've had them through the centuries. It is his government. It says the government because there is, in the mind of God, no other government. None. Now, I know we have human governments for the time being, but do you understand the only government that really matters is the government, the government of God Almighty. Now, a government dictates by necessity that those under that governing body, that those who live in that government are submissive to their ruler and leader. Therefore, the government of God are those who have submitted their lives to the king of glory. Yes, we are citizens of a temporal government here in our country, but ultimately the government that I care about deeply is the ruling of God Almighty over my life. You can only have one king, you know that. Kings don't share their throne. They just don't. You'll never have a dual kingship anywhere. Kings are absolute. You can only have one king in your life. It's either him or it's you. If it's you, live your life like you want. Make choices according to what you think is right. But if you are his subject and you've given your heart to Christ and he is your king, then this guides your life, and he dictates your decisions. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where theology is born in the church, but is then carried out, out there in life. So who rules your life? You or him? There's only one. Notice it says the government shall be upon his shoulder, not shoulders, shoulder. One shoulder is big enough for him to carry the whole thing. The power of any government is its ability to maintain itself. And he doesn't require that we maintain his government. God is well able in his power to rule and to reign. It's upon his shoulder that it's carried. I don't know about you, that makes me very confident. That makes me very relaxed. I know he's big enough to solve the issues of this life and this world and my life upon his shoulder is the ruling authority. And when I place myself under the king of glory, whatever happens in my life, whatever decisions he leads me to make, I submit to his authority and power. Isn't that good? I'm not in charge of things. God is in charge of things in his government. Notice the list that we love. In his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, whether you put a, a comma after wonderful or if you don't, I, there's arguments on both sides that are interesting. I think it both works. 
He is wonderful. He is counselor. And if they're together, isn't he a wonderful counselor? Now, wonder is an interesting thing. Wonder is an amazement when you're caught off guard. I was at Crackle Barrel last week, and I went to the restroom, washed my hands. And uh, as I was in there, a father with a young boy came in, and the boy went into the stall that was, you know, locked out, and the father was out washing his hands, and I heard the boy say this, Dad, they got a sink in here. And a few seconds later, he goes, they got soap. Look at that. They got soap. And I thought, how wonderful it would be to be amazed and wondered at something like that. <laughs> we pass over the Christmas story. We pass through the Christmas season. How amazing and wonderful sometimes we miss the Messiah in the manger. Because we know in our depth of hearts, the stuff in the packages comes and goes. But his life and who he is to us is what we embrace. It's the meat of the season. You ever eat a bunch of sugary desserts and you get all dizzy and about fall over? You got to eat a bunch of meat and then you can have a little bit of pumpkin pie. To be absorbed this time of year without missing the wonderment and wonderful person of Jesus Christ, you lose the meat of the whole deal. Notice he is a wonderful counselor. He is wise. There is wisdom in what he says to us. Are, are we listening? Are we listening? You know, he speaks with a still, small voice. He doesn't shout. In fact, most of the time he waits till we stop talking. Problem with me is I never, hardly ever stop talking. But if we're quiet and listen and we really want to know what he says about a situation or anything in our life, quietly, he will talk. And I, can I give you a little hint? It probably won't be what you want to hear. It will be what you need to hear. And then you make the choice whether he's your king or not by listening. Notice it goes on. It says he is a mighty God. He is the almighty God. Now, this is one of the only places in all the Old Testament that is just obviously talking about Jesus Christ, our Messiah. Notice how, how declarative and how clear Isaiah calls him the mighty God. He is the son of God, but he is the mighty God. Don't miss that. He is the everlasting Father. Now, when you, when you see the word everlasting, we think, well, something that lives forever. He lives forever, eternal. That's not what it's talking about. Hook those two together and understand that He is your Father, and He is an everlasting Father. He will always be your Father. In all eternity future, He will be a Father to you. Sometimes we start out relationships with certain boundaries and then we get into the relationship and that changes. A guy will date a gal and he'll, he'll be Prince Charming and he'll be wonderful and he'll bring all the gifts, say all the right things. Three months into the marriage, you got a different guy on your hands. It can go the other way too. 
She can promise on the moon and tell them anything. Rub comes to rub, and all of a sudden you're dealing with her. And that, I personally, I think marriage counseling needs more counseling three months after the wedding than three months before. But I'm telling you, with Almighty God, He is our Father. He is, do you understand? He is our Father. He loves us like, I don't know if you had a good dad or not. If you had a good father, praise God. If you didn't have a good father, then forget that example and understand that your father loves you. He loves you with an eternal, intensive love that you cannot measure and will never diminish. No matter what we do, in all eternity, I can't even have it. Trillions of years from now, there, we will look at our heavenly father and he will be the same everlasting father to us as he is right now. He does not change. I don't know if there's a whole lot in this life that doesn't change, but he does. Let me say that backwards. There's a whole lot, there's a whole lot in life that does change, but he doesn't. I switched that to make sure you were listening. He is the prince of peace. He is the prince of peace. That's what this world needs. Peace will not come by any movement, any political shifts in time. It will not come with that. Anything man does will end in failure. Anything. By anybody. What God does in sending his son, he comes and he, there'll be no peace in our world. There'll be no unity in this world. The world is trying to unify itself incredibly all the time. It will do nothing but splinter until the Prince of Peace comes and rules and reigns in this world. You got a great thought. You know he can do that right now for you and I. In the midst of the storms around us, we can have peace because he is the prince of that peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, you know, I'm, I'm impressed in all this writing, in all this declaration by God that man's not involved in any of this right here. We are participants. We enjoy the blessing of this. But God does this. Anything we touch fails. Anything God does is eternal. Therefore, all I care about is what God wants to do. In your life and in my life, how he presses, how he speaks, how he changes us and transforms us. You can't change yourself. He changes us. His government will increase. The more territory he gets, the greater his government. You know, he's got territory inside of you, right? He wants more of it. Now, he already has all of it. But we receive great blessing, and we're used to the Lord when we give over territory to him. His government increases. Yeah. 
no end. He establishes it, he upholds it, and he does it, I love this, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 7 finishes with how all this is going to be pulled off. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. That phrase, the Lord of hosts, the God who leads armies. Not the army's zeal, but the Lord's zeal. The Lord, his zeal. I read you the good words of Oswald Chambers as he describes this meaning of the word zeal. You ever wonder what the zeal of the Lord is? I think Chambers has a pretty good tie on it. He writes this, The meaning of the word zeal is a mixture of hot anger and jealousy. It is a mixture of hot anger and affection also. Jealousy, in a good sense, comes near the meaning. It is that overflow of love that cannot keep still. You know our God's a jealous God. You know that. Not jealous in selfishness like we are, but jealous because he loves us so much and he sees what sin is doing in our lives. He cares so much for us not to be involved in the sin that destroys us. I don't need to put my finger on that. In your life, the Holy Spirit's able to do that. Notice, it is that overflow of love that cannot keep still. When men think God has surely done all that he will do and can do for an ungrateful race, he visits them in their distress and carries them forward into desire havens for them. God Almighty is ever gracious in his promises. He does not only fulfill his promises... He overfulfills them. In our Lord's parable, and then he goes on and talks about the parable. Zeal. It is the hot anger and affection mixed with a jealous God who wants to retrieve us from the blocks of sin and reign victorious in us. As Karen and I listen to this incredible composure by Handel, last night every time they they would throw a verse up there whether it's out of Isaiah and Revelation and then the soloists would come four of them come and sing the verses and they'd sing it in 20 different ways and the music would blend with the words there were four soloists three of them as they sang three of them as they sat at the front between their songs they would sing and sit down three of the four were stone-faced. Not a moment of expression out of any of the three. None. But the one, the lady in the red dress, her face was full of expression. She was worshiping. There were moments she would look up into the rafters and I would see the glory of God on her face as she reacted to the verses, and the Lord our God omnipotent reigneth. You could see it in her face. I think that's, and not to judge the three others who were stone-faced, perhaps they worshiped too, but 
Don't you love to see the face? That's a pretty good number. That's a pretty good percentage. About 25%, maybe less. You could hear the message, you know. You could sit in that soloist chair and you can let all that message wave over you. Or you can open your heart and let every bit of that truth of who Christ was feed your soul and come into you. And I just, I don't think you can help but show that on your face. Okay? I think it just explodes. You can't stop your face from worshiping. You know that? You can close your heart and then your face does whatever you tell it to do. When you open your heart, you're out of control with your face. You really are. G give me the one thing, flip it over, and we'll be done. You know, we call him by these names because of what he's done for us. There were eastern kings over there in Egypt and Babylon, Babylonia, in kings, and they named themselves. And they would name themselves seven, eight, ten things. They would declare as Nebuchadnezzar, I am the king of the... And he would, they would name themselves. Christ doesn't name himself. We're naming him. It's always best when the king is named by those before him. Those who submit to his rule. This is what we call him. Wonderful counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting father. That's the expression of our heart when we recognize who he is. You know who he is? You know, you open your heart. These kids sing some incredible songs. Amen. Did a great job worshiping. I always find that the open hearts are always young ones. Isn't that true? When we get older, it's easy to get kind of steel-plated. <laughs> Don't let that happen. I think that's why it's good to mix around with grandkids and little ones. Amen. Because we see them go into a bathroom at Crackle Barrel and go, they got a sink in here. <laughs> Jesus was born. I'm saved from my sin. I'm going to heaven. That baby who came to the manger, I am in wonder and worship of him. Lord Jesus, we pause and we want to tell you that we love you. We want to submit to your rule and reign in this place. There's such a sweet spirit here. And it's your spirit. It's your spirit mixing and moving among us as we share something very common together.